Jesus is invited to eat at the house of Simon, who's a Pharisee. He doesn't give Jesus a kiss, the traditional kiss, uh, when he walks in, though that was the custom, at least a kiss on the hand. Typically, that custom would also include the washing of feet of that guest to wash off the dirt from uh, their feet as they have walked to this home. Uh, Jesus' feet went unwashed. Oftentimes, when you had a guest, especially a distinguished guest, you would give them some inexpensive olive oil uh, to anoint their head. That was their custom. None of this happened for Jesus. So Jesus is eating at this house of this pretender, this fan, and in the middle of their meal shows up an uninvited guest. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 7 that she's a known sinner, a woman of ill repute, walks into the house, she's weeping, crying, she falls at the feet of Jesus. Tears are now dripping off her cheeks onto the dirty, muddy feet of Jesus that should have already been washed by the Pharisee. She sees that they're not washed. She sees how her tears are making the dirt run off his feet and she undoes her hair. And I don't think she planned to do it this way. She would have assumed that his feet would be clean, but they weren't. They were dirty. So with tears, she washes his feet, and with her hair, she dries his feet, and she begins to kiss them, crying, broken. She pulls out a jar of very expensive perfume, and she pours it on his feet. Now let's freeze that for a moment. Hold up our Bibles or our electronic device that you have with your Bible on it. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. The powerful Word of God can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to hang on to the thoughts of that story that I just read to you. Keep it in mind. I'm going to come back to it in just a little bit. But today, I want to talk to you about intimacy. And I'm sure if you know, I'm not sure if you know what that feels like, but when a baby's born, babies cry a lot. Do you remember that? Some of you may have been a while since you've had a baby in the house. But babies cry a lot. And when children cry... Sometimes we don't know what's wrong. Um, I know when my children were young and they would cry and they were babies, I didn't always know what was going on. I didn't know what was wrong. I tried to understand, but it you know, usually didn't work too well. Um, so you would start with a process of elimination, wouldn't you? Uh, you'd pick them up and you'd hug them. You'd kind of walk them. You'd maybe give them a bottle. You'd change a diaper. Uh, I read where one guy's... Uh, uh, best time of changing the diaper was a flat 38 seconds. Now, I don't know about that. Uh, that's, that's pretty fast changing of the diaper. But uh, when they cry, you kind of get desperate. And so you turn from watching ESPN to any kind of cartoon that will entertain. 
anything that will get them to tune in and somehow not be crying. But really, when it all comes down to it, guys, we really don't know what's going on. But now, my wife was different. She could listen to the cry. And she'd say, oh, oh, he's tired. And sure enough, baby needs a nap. Or she'd say, oh, he's hungry. Give him a bottle. Everything was good in the whole world. <laughs> she would hear another cry and she'd say, oh, he needs his diaper change. Or he, he needs his diaper change. And then she would say, and his daddy wants him to change it. Well, I figured she knew, so I better listen. But at some point, I, I think I figured out that these boys really didn't know what they were saying about that part anyway, but she seemed to, and I didn't want to argue. You never argue with the baby whisperer, do you? <laughs> Ever. But you know, despite her ability to get me to change diapers, my wife had an intimate, intuitive connection with all of our babies. There's almost no relationship more intimate than a mother and her baby. You can have a mother that's on a deathbed and sees you hurting her baby. Now, he may be 45 years old, and she's coming off that deathbed, and she's coming after you. And if she gets her hands on you, it will be ugly. But you know, there's just something about mamas and babies. Don't mess with a mama's babies. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> That's the best one I've had in years. That's awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with this thing of moms and babies. That, that, that gets me some mileage. But, but it's because a mother is able to know. A mother is able to understand the needs and the wants of that child in a way that nobody else can. As much as I love my children, my three boys, I love them, I love them, I love them, there is a connection between their mother and those boys. Oh, they may fight it, but there's there. There's stories that I could tell you, but I can't for fear of my life. You could tell stories, too, for fear of your life. You won't either, so that's good. But you've, you've been around moms. You've been in a room full of people, and a baby starts getting fussy, or a baby cries, and all of a sudden everybody's passing that baby around like a hot potato, looking for somebody with that magic touch. Nobody can quiet that baby until that baby's mother walks in the room and just the voice of that mother calms the child. There's just something about it. Now I have a new grandson. And he likes to cry. And I like to pick him up and hold him. And I think I'm a master. I'm a granddad. I'm grandpa. I can do this. So I've got him. And I've got him no more than 30 seconds. And the lip starts quivering and puckering and crying. And, and I'm looking down at him and I said, no, wait a minute. It worked for those other three nodheads. Why ain't it working for you? I'll walk him over and hand him to his mother. Like that. And I just look at him. And I just shake my head. And I walk away. Understanding the greater depth of the 
baby whisperer more than I ever have. But there is something intimate. There's something relational, deep, between moms and babies. Knowing and being known completely. That's the relationship described of how God wants with us. It's that intimacy that we sometimes miss. And until you've witnessed it, you don't really know what it looks like. I could read you a definition explaining where the word comes from or how the word was used, but you wouldn't really know what intimacy is. You would just know about intimacy. So I want to give you some main points this morning to take away. Number one, I want you to know that God knows you and me intimately. The best biblical word for intimacy is the word know. It's found first in the context of relationships in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. And it simply says, Adam knew his wife Eve. Now that's King James, so that's old school. Those of you that are still using the King James Bible, you're all going, it's about time. I understand. I've got you. And there's times when you've got to use King James to really get the message. And here's a, here's a good example. The Hebrew word used here for know is a word that you and I use occasionally that Jerry Seinfeld used all the time. It's the word yada. How about that? Hebrew word yada. The definition of yada is to know and to be known completely. The NIV translates the words, this word a little bit differently. It puts it in the context of what's happening in this particular passage of Scripture. The Bible says that in, in, in the NIV in Genesis 4 of 1, Adam lay with his wife Eve. Surely I don't need to explain any more to you than that. The King James put it a little more poetically when it says that he knew her. So you get the picture. And I don't want you to blush too much. This is not one of those yada, 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 yada moments. Don't, don't, you know, stay with me here. There was a yada moment between a husband and a wife. It's that intimate connection on every level to know and to be known. It's a beautiful picture, actually. Something to be said for the sacredness of sexual intimacy. That when we first read about sex, it's about intimacy, not about physical pleasure. Because there's so much more to it than that. There are other Hebrew words that could have been used, words used later in Scripture referring to the physical act or even procreation. But here, in this setting, in that verse, it deals with an intimate connection. One Hebrew scholar calls it a mingling of the souls. Oh, I love that. A mingling of the souls. It's really hard to understand until you see the difference between a brand new couple and a couple who've been together for a long time. In the book that I'm encouraging you to read, a, a not a fan, we have some back on the back table. Kyle Eidemann, the author, tells this story in the book. Maybe you've read it already and this will be a good reminder. He says, a few months ago, I was out on a date with my wife. And whenever we go out, I'm not allowed to face the TV in the room. Otherwise, it's not really a date for my wife. It's just her watching me, watching whatever's on. 
So I just can't help myself, he says. So because I'm not allowed to watch the TV, I found myself watching these two tables near us. Two different couples sat at each table. One table had a young couple. They might have been newlyweds, but I, I bet they were still dating. This couple was all over each other, snuggled up close, talking to each other rapidly, They making jokes, interrupting one another while their food was getting cold. Hey, they didn't care. They just kept talk, 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 talking. Next to them was an elderly couple, and I'm guessing they'd been married for decades. It's possible they spent over half of their lives together. They didn't say a word, nothing. I watched as they sat there in silence, not saying anything. And I finally pointed out to my wife, and I said, look at that. Isn't that a kind of sad? It starts off this way with this couple talking, talking, talking. So, they, they, so much to say, so much to share. And then decades later, you have this elderly couple just sitting there in silence, and it's kind of sad. And my wife said, I think it's kind of sweet. Well, I kind of nod in silence, trying to be agreeable, but I had no idea why that was so sweet. Why is it sweet for me to sit here quietly? I don't understand. And then it hit me. It's sweet because they are communicating in silence. They're connecting in silence. For them, just being together is ample space for communication and for connection. They're able to communicate without saying anything. I don't know what they were saying to each other. Maybe, well, this guy staring at us over there needs to quit. But they sat at their table and they were able to connect because they, had, they, they shared an intimate bond. Isn't that a great story? Now you may think that the couple was actually able to talk to each other without speaking, but you understand they were connecting. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. And you're still connected. There's times when it's best not to say anything. Have you discovered that? Sometimes it's good just to put your hand across the table and hold the hand of the person that you love the most. Last week, Cindy was gone all week to Atlanta for a business trip. And when she called her mother to tell her mother that she was going to be gone all week to Atlanta, her mother, first thing her mother said was, well, how does Harold feel about that, that you're going to be gone all week to Atlanta without him? You see, her mother goes nowhere without her dad. Her mother doesn't drive. Her mother is so connected to her dad. I don't know what they do apart from each other. We've all talked as family. When, when one of them dies, we know it'll be soon that the other one will go because they don't know what to do without each other. But I thought that was an interesting question for her to ask her daughter. What's your husband think about that, that you're going to be gone all week without him? You see, I understand who Cindy is, and I know who she is. I spent 35 years trying to learn who she is, and I'm still learning new stuff. That's what I love about her. The family was laughing last night. It's always a little dis disconcerting when you walk into a room and they're just full of laughter. And then all of a sudden it stops when you get in the room. <laughs> and so... That's okay. 
at first I was kind of hurt, but then I got to thinking about it. You know what? We all do some really funny things in life, don't we? And it's nice that we can be remembered. And usually it's for good things. They may be silly, but it's good to laugh. It's good to laugh. It's good to have some yada moments to remember and to know how we loved each other. If you trace the uses of yada through the Old Testament, you'll find that over and over again, it's the same word that's used to describe God's relationship with us. Over and over, yada is that word used to describe how God knows you and how he wants to be known by you. It's kind of weird, really. The same word, the same connection used to describe a man and a wife is used to describe how God wants to know you and me. This can completely change the way we see our relationship with God. And should. Thinking of that day in and day out connection with my wife, and I have, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm embarrassed when I think about how she and I are connected, and yet how I've neglected that connection with God. I wasn't and am not connecting with God the way I should and the way I'm connecting with my wife. I make every provision for her. I make every time available for her. I do what I can't. Am I doing the same for Almighty God? If Yada is a deep knowing and intimate, David uses that word six different times in Psalm 139. Listen to what he says. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. Man, he, he knows us, doesn't he? You know, you know, you know. Yada, yada, yada. David speaks to God in an intimate way. It's, he's saying, God, you know how I feel. You know how I hurt. You know what I'm thinking, and I'm telling you today, church, your Heavenly Father wants to have that kind of relationship with you. He knows how you're feeling. Let Him minister to that hurt. Let Him help you. Well, preacher, He's not here. He can't. Oh, yes, He's here. Oh, yes, He's here. He sent you the Holy Spirit to undergird all of those hurts and to bring the balm of Gilead and put that, that salve on those wounds. He sent the Spirit of God to do that. His own Spirit. Let Him do it. Quit trying to do it yourself. You will never, ever get there on your own. You've got to surrender. And let Him do it. Second thing I want you to get today is that God wants you to know Him. God wants His soul to mingle with our soul. For some wild creation, the Creator of heaven and earth has offered an invitation 
to you and me. He could have forced His way into our life. But He instead offers an invitation for us to come and join Him. To join Him. He says, I want you to know me more closely and minutely than you know anyone else. I want, to know, I want you to know my heart to connect with me on a level that can only be reached through the most vulnerable intimacy. I want our souls to come together for both of us to know, them, know each other deeply and wholly. I hear this from couples all the time, that they're not connected. One or the other won't open, or if they are, they're bringing walls with them, or they're bringing baggage with them, or whatever they're bringing. They're afraid to do this. We have a couple not here today because they're on a honeymoon. Sam and Vanessa got married yesterday. So I told her, I said, well, when you sign the wedding certificate, you won't have to go very far with the name that you're going to be called because she's retained the name Neil even though they've been divorced for a number of years. But yesterday, they renewed their relationship and their commitment of marriage. And next week, you'll get to see them as a married couple instead of Vanessa and that old hound dog Sam. Their vows they read to each other were unbelievable. The thing that's different for both of them this time, and especially him, is the cross of Jesus Christ. If you will put your hand on the cross, both of you, and you keep that hand on the cross, whatever's happening out here will get worked out. As soon as you take the hand off of that and you say, I'm, I'm loud, I'm strong, I'll take care of it, you're in deep trouble. We all have baggage. We all have it. But thank God he loves me through it. And what I told Sam and Vanessa yesterday in their wedding was that they are today demonstrating what God experiences with us every day. Because we're his bride, are we not? And every day we say to our bride, I don't want you. We say to the groom, I don't want you. But only when we need him do we want him. Other than that, we don't want him. Don't you come in here and mess up with my stuff. Don't you come tell me what I can read and what I can't read. Don't you tell me what I can see and what I can't see. Don't you tell me who I can hang out with. Don't you tell me what I can drink and can't drink. Don't you tell me what I can eat. Don't you tell me all that stuff. But then you get, in, you get into trouble and you get sick or you get whatever. Woo, you got to run back to God. Oh, God. Help me now, help me now, God. You're the, you're the God on call, aren't you? If you have a yada relationship with him, <laughs> he'll already be there. He'll already be there. When you read Scripture, the relationship that he's describing is poetic and it's beautiful and it's awesome. And I'd rather you know about that now here in church. I don't want the world to teach you about the intimacy between a husband and wife and it represents the intimacy between God and us. That's exactly what He wants. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. Not the church house. Don't bring that up, preacher. Oh, I'm going to bring it up. 
Because it's time that we quit playing games. It's time that we quit acting like we really, really love him when we don't by our behavior. Wives, husbands, why do you stay married? Because you know that they love you and will do anything for you. Those of you that have lost a, a mate, there are days, there are days when you would give anything you had to have five more minutes with them. Just five more minutes. One of the most common responses to intimacy is fear. I see it in couples all the time. They're afraid to be real and authentic. And I see it in people who claim they are Christians. They're afraid to be real and authentic. I challenge these teenagers every week to be real and authentic to be real are you real at work are you real at your house do people see you the same way on monday as they see you on sunday in your righteousness you see in order to accomplish that and it is pretty scary but it involves allowing yourself to be vulnerable I used to think I was the toughest guy. And I, could, I could put on a tough look for you. Cindy would always say, you got the mean face on. you got your mean face on. And I said, I got it on for a reason. And you want it off, you come take it off. Well, you know, I mean, that's... You know what I discovered? What a bunch of baloney. <laughs> what a bunch. And you know how I learned it? My granddaughter, when I looked in her face the first time, psh, yeah, I'm just a marshmallow. And I'm kind of liking it. I'm kind of liking it. Because, you know, it's not about being tough. It's about being authentic. It's about being real. You know, we're all fallen, aren't we? We've all fallen short. And this story in Luke 7, there's a sinful woman. I mean, she's a sinner. She's known through the town about being a sinner. Her life had been exposed, and obviously she was totally unworthy to touch the Master. Oh, I come to Messiah, no way. And yet in her state of fallenness, as you and I find ourselves in our state of fallenness, we know that God's going to look into our lives like He looked into her lives. And there's things He's not going to condone. But we're also going to find great love, great compassion, and great forgiveness and mercy. And dads, if we don't learn anything in life, all the life, I don't care if we live to be 129,000 years old. Dads, if we don't learn how to take the facade of toughness off and be merciful and gracious and kind and generous, how do we expect our wives to do that? Oh, you can walk in and everybody's shaking their boots when you walk in the door. So what? 
So what? Followers. Christ followers know that there's so much more gain in that intimacy with God than could ever be accomplished by holding Him at bay. How many people do you know today, right now, you could put a name on it, or two or three, who are holding God at bay, who just don't have time for it? Oh, they used to, but they don't anymore. Oh, they used to, but they don't anymore. And their only excuse they give you is that, well, I just, I'm out of the habit. How sad is a relationship with God become a habit? But if that's what you need to call it, develop it again. <laughs> Because habits can be broken and new ones started. Third thing I want you to take away is that fans choose knowledge, followers embrace intimacy. But in the church, we've often failed to embrace that kind of intimacy with Jesus. Instead, we've created a system focused around learning, not too unlike Simon and the other Pharisees. Admittedly, our default setting is knowledge, not intimacy. Think about it. We have, we love Bible studies many of which include some kind of workbook, includes a curriculum for working through a particular book or, or book of the Bible. Uh, sermons are accompanied oftentimes with outlines. I give you one every week for you to fill in the blanks. Hoping you'll take that home and rehash it and re-go over it, but usually you fill in the blanks and you go, oh, I'm done. Oh, end of that message. Okay, good. Oh, what did I tell you last week? Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Well, pull out your notes. Oh, I threw them away. Oh, okay. They're real important. Private Christian academies have been established all over the world, ranging from grade school to graduate studies, all of which offer different courses that study God, theology, exegesis, Greek, Hebrew, hermeneutics. Oh, listen, man, we can give you all kinds of Bible names of things that you've got to learn. When I heard about hermeneutics, I thought, hmm, I'm not getting in there. They said, it's required. You have to take it. I said, what if I can't say it? And I couldn't. Exegesis. How about that one? There's a good one. Any of you know what that means? Uh, no. No. Good. You don't need to know. It's not that important. But it sure makes you sound like you don't know much if I throw those words out there, isn't it? <laughs> we even do it in Sunday school. We teach lessons. We assign different Bible verses to kids to memorize, and some of them complete uh, these and they can go into competitions called Bible Bowls and, and and you win or lose depending on how much Bible knowledge you have. They even got a TV show now out on that. Isn't that awesome? And, and don't get me wrong, studying and memorizing God's words invaluable. Jesus referenced it. He read and quoted all kinds of passages from the Old Testament, and that that alone is ample proof that he studied God's word and we should too, and we mem and should memorize it like he did. It's, it's ample proof. If it's good enough for him, it ought to be good enough for us. How are we doing with that? But we can't expect knowledge to replace intimacy. Just because I know about my wife, Cindy, doesn't mean I know her. It's taken a while. It takes a long time to really get to know her. And I'm learning more every day and loving what I'm learning. It's awesome. I've seen her when she's been real fearful. I've seen her when she's looked at me with that look. All of you men say amen. You know the look, men. It's that look that motivates you, doesn't it, men? It's just a look. 
Oh, we've got a lot of phones going off today. Satan trying to interfere today. You know, those looks get our attention, don't they, men? And what do we do with those looks? We spring to action <laughs> if we're smart. But knowledge does not replace intimacy. So we find Simon the Pharisee in this story. He knew a lot about Jesus and his teachings. He wanted to learn more. Called him teacher, which emphasized that he was most interested in learning, not really opening up, uh, that is, to Jesus. But in verse 39 of chapter 7, we find this. When the Pharisee who had, lived, who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who he's, who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. Why, she's a sinner. And so he says to himself, he said that, by the way, to himself. He didn't say it out loud. But Jesus knew what he was thinking, and he says to the Pharisee, Look, I came in, into your house. You did not give me a kiss, nor even on my hand. She, stopped, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You gave me nothing to wash my feet with. She's washing my feet with her tears. You gave me no olive oil for my head. She's poured perfume on my feet. And people just can't see the brokenness of this woman. And Jesus turns to the woman and she says, Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. You see, Simon brought Jesus to the meal, but all he wanted was knowledge. So he wanted to keep things shallow and he defined his relationship by not washing his feet, not caring to kiss him, not being willing to anoint his head. But this woman was willing to open herself to lay herself before God. She made herself vulnerable, totally willing to open up to Jesus in every possible way and let Him know her. So the question this morning as we get ready for our invitation is this. So will you let Jesus know you? Will you embrace the close and intimate relationship He wants to have with you. Because with that, with that intimate relationship comes forgiveness and yada. Something only followers of Christ can truly experience. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I, I just ask You this morning that we pause for a moment and we honestly take assessment in our life of where we are with you. Does it stop at knowing who you are? And that's as far as we want to go. Or Lord, would there be one person today who would have the courage to say they want to have a yada relationship with you. Is there that one person who would say, oh my goodness, I've been playing at this for too long. I've, I've just been a fan. I want to be a follower. Is there one? God, you know. You know who they are. We offer an invitation just as you offer an invitation. And so God, we ask this morning that there's somebody here 
that needs to do something about that relationship with you. They'll either get it started for the very first time. Maybe they've had a relationship, but it's only been about knowledge and it's not been deep. And they want to do something about that. And give them that opportunity this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.